0: While our children are dismissed to junior church, take your Bibles and turn to Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22. Come to another chapter in our study in the book of Numbers, and we're going to look at the degeneration of determination this morning. And uh, the nation of Israel is going forward by faith. God has given them great victories over the Amorites. They occupy Gilead on the east side of Jordan. The land was given uh, to Reuben and Gad and half of a tribe of Manasseh. Uh, The people in the region are very afraid of the Israelites, and this is where we pick up uh, the story this morning. And in our message, uh, we will begin to see how Satan uh, will cause and use his uh, methods to cause degeneration in our determination and our dedication to the Lord. Satan has a way of discouraging us as we want to serve the Lord and we're determined to do so, but yet uh, that determination can uh, can be uh, challenged and can be found difficult at times. So what we want to notice first of all is the distress of Moab. Notice this in verses 1 through 4. It says in chapter 22 verse 1, and the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side Jordan by Jericho. And Balak the son of Zippor saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was sore afraid of the people because they were many, and Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midia, Now shall this company lick up all that are round about us, as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was the king of the Moabites at that time." As the children of Israel continue to move forward, camping now in the plains of Moab, the king of the Moabites, Balak is terrified of what he's heard and what he sees. The huge multitudes of the Israelites. He compares Israel to oxen, which are a symbol of strength and power. The Moabites were sore afraid and distressed. Have you ever been afraid? little Luke came up to me this morning first thing he said to me was in the time I'm afraid what's the rest of it I will trust in the Lord I knew that <laughs> he had been working on his verse I think ever been afraid you know you know kids are afraid sometimes not us adults we're we're growing up we know we know better Ever been in distress? Ever been worried? Or concerned about something that made you sick? Not even, not physically, but perhaps uh, just, you know, sick in your heart about something. Well, that's what the word distressed here in verse 3 is talking about. It's a sickening dread, it's a fear that causes one to vomit. And this was the condition of the Moabites, and their fear was unfounded. They had nothing to be afraid of. Psalm 53, verse 5 says, There were they in great fear where no fear was. For God hath scattered the bones of him that encampeth against thee. Thou hast put them to shame, because God hath despised them. Proverbs 28, verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth. But the righteous are bold as a lion. God had given the Israelites rule of engagement concerning their relatives. They were not to fight, anger, or irritate the Edomites. Remember we talked about them trying to go around Edom. That was from the tribe, or that was from the people that came from Esau. And the Moabites and Ammonites were descendants from Lot, Abraham's nephew, And in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, it says, And command thou the people, saying, Ye are to pass through the coast of your brethren, the children of Esau, which dwell in Seir, and they shall be afraid of you. Take ye good heed unto yourselves, therefore. Meddle not with them, for I will not give you their land. No, not so much as a foot breadth, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau for a possession. And then in verse 9 it says, And the Lord said unto me, Distress not the Moabites, neither contend with them in battle, for I will not give them of your land, of their land for a possession, because I have uh, given our unto the children of Lot for a possession. And the words there when he talks about meddle and contend with, there's this, they're basically the same word. It means to irritate, to anger, to stir up, to make war against And the word distress, again, means to confine, to corner, to press in a a hostile way. You see, these Moabites had nothing to fear because God had instructed the Israelites not to bother them. But you know what? Many times we're like the Moabites. Our fears and our worries are unfounded. We panic when we don't need to panic. And we're not to be a bunch of worry warts. I wonder: Are you a person that worries about things? Do you worry about your safety? Do you worry about your children? You know, I think we need to be smart concerning safety. We don't need to take undue risks and challenges, but we don't need to sleep uh, lose sleep over it either. Are you worried about paying your bills? Are you worried about terrorists this morning? Oh, how about the stock market? You worried about that? I got about that much in the stock market. No, not even that much. How about half, half that much. Well, if I worried over that, wouldn't be worth it. You know, stress causes the heart rate to go up. It has an effect on us physically. It causes the arteries to constrict, which turning. Increases the blood pressure, and increased blood pressure leads to heart attacks or strokes. Stress will increase your cholesterol, which will lead to the hardening of the arteries, and stress will increase your sugar levels to the blood, and in the long term, type 2 diabetes. Stress will weaken the body's immune system that will make your body more susceptible to disease, and all of these stress factors can be created by worrying about our problems. Now today, there's a fretful anxiety about material things that is robbing many Christians of their peace of mind like Martha we're careful or anxious about many things Luke 21:34 it says and take heed to yourselves lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life and so that day come upon you unawares in Matthew chapter 13 he also had, uh, it says there, He also receives seed among the thorns, so as he heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of the riches, to choke the word and become unfruitful. It's in the parable of the, the different kinds of soil. It's interesting to note the cares of this world, or worries, choke the word. The word worry originally meant to choke. An English word, worry, actually comes from a German word which produced a word which meant to choke, to strangle, to seize by the throat with the teeth. God wants us to trust Him to care for us and to be content with what we already have, lest we be strangled or choked by our worries. Let me give you a relatively recent illustration of the consequences and destructiveness of the worry. From an author, I don't know that he's a Christian. Uh, I don't suspect that he is, but he had a, did a study. It's interesting in regard to what we're talking about this morning. But in the during the Gulf War back in 1991, I know that's ancient history for some of you kids. But the Gulf War, Iraq launched a series of Scud missile attacks against Israel. And there's been more recent attacks against Israel again. But many Israelite or Israel Israeli, excuse me, citizens died as a result of these attacks. And after the war was over, Israeli scientists in, uh, analyzed the official mortality statistics and found something very remarkable. Although the death rate had jumped among Israeli citizens on the first day of the Iraqi ta- attacks, the, most, the vast majority of them did not die as a result of any direct effects of the missiles. They died from heart failure brought on by wo- fear and worry and stress associated with bombardment. Psychological studies conducted on the Israelis at the time showed that the most stressful time, the first days leading up to the outbreak of the war and peaking on the first day of the, the missile attacks. and This was enormous and well-founded concern about the possible Iraqi use of chemical and biological weapons, and the government had issued to the entire population gas masks and automatic Uh, syringes uh, atrophying uh, syringes in in case of chemical attack and every household had been told to prepare a sealed room after the first strike turned out to be less uh, cataclysmic than they feared stress levels declined markedly in other wars people adapted to the situation with surprising speed and then the fear and anxiety subsided the death rate also declined There were 17 further missile attacks from Iraq over the following weeks, but the Israeli mortality figures over this period were no higher than average. It was fear. It was psychological impact of the missiles, not the physical impact that claimed the majority of victims. Listen, God wants us to give him our fears and our worries. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. In uh, the Navajo Indian translation of the Bible, the word for care or worry is that which, uh, that which prickles and irritates, like a pin sticking into the flesh. And their, their verse would read, These things that are continually sticking into you, turn them over to me, for I am caring for you. That's what God's saying. These things that are continually sticking you like a pin. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. I wonder, are you given to worry? I want you to notice a few things about worry, because as we look at here in Numbers chapter 22, Balak was worried. Notice that worry robs our hearts of peace. We may encounter trials and troubles, but it's wrong to worry or brood over them. Someone put it this way, worry is the interest we pay on the debt of unbelief with which we have mortgaged our lives. Worry is the interest we pay on the debt of unbelief with which we have mortgaged our lives. Worry robs our hearts of peace. Secondly, worry demonstrates distrust in God. When we worry, we're not trusting in God's promises and God's providence. Worry says, God is not big enough to handle the problems and the circumstances of my life. It's, in essence, practical atheism. Worry is the interest we pay on tomorrow's troubles. If we worry, we can't trust. If we trust, we can't worry. Worry is like a rocking chair. It requires the investment of your energy, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Thirdly, worry creates more problems. Worry moves you or never moves you one inch or closer to a solution. But it always makes things worse. Those worried about losing their hair accelerate the process and end up losing it. Those worried about getting sick weaken their immune system and they end up many times getting sick. Those worried about losing their jobs can lower their performance at work and they end up losing their jobs. Those worried about gaining weight sometimes eat more and gain more weight. Worry cannot change the past or control the future. It makes you miserable. Proverbs 12, 25 says, Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. Now the word heaviness there is a word that's translated worry, fear, anxious care. Worry is just the opposite of contentment which is the attitude we have in our lives, or we are to have in our lives. Many times we worry about the wrong things. Philippians 4.11 says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. You see, true contentment is found in the Lord. And then worry is inconsistent with our faith. Matthew 6, familiar passage of Scripture We know Matthew 33, but what about the verses that go before it? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now does that mean you don't go to the store and buy food? You don't go to the store and buy clothes? No. No certainly not what if you don't have the money to go to the store well don't worry about it pray about it worry is a characteristic of unbelief our worry and our fears do not empty tomorrow of its sorrow but are only empty today of its strength we're not to be focused on frustrations instead we're to seek God's will and his righteousness. 2 Peter 3.11 Seeing then that all th- these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? God's solution to worry is praying. Praying is the secret to a carefree life. Having God's peace. We're not to be careful. We are to be careful for nothing. But prayerful About everything. We're to pray about everything. Our Lord is interested in even the smallest little details of our lives. Prayer in general is an act of devotion and worship. Supplications are special petitions and urgent prayers for particular needs. We're to offer these prayers with thanksgiving. Our prayers and our petitions must be mingled with praise. Praise is a way of thinking and taking the sting out of the circumstances, and helping us to be grateful for the blessings we do have. Now let's go back to Numbers. That other part was just was free. We see the distress of Moab. Moab was worried, and were not to be worried. They were worried over nothing because God had told them, told the Israelites not to bother them. So, secondly, we see the deal for divination. And we see this in verses 5 through 7. It says there, He sent messengers, therefore, unto Balaam, the son of Beor, to Pethor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out. From Egypt, behold, they cover the face of the earth. They abide over against me. Now, there were a lot of people, but they didn't cover the face of the earth. I mean, It might have looked like that. But I think they're, again, worried about something that really wasn't true. There were a lot of people. But he goes on to say, Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me, this people. For they are too mighty for me, Peradventure I shall prevail, that we might smite them, that I may drive them out of the land. For I wot not that he whom thou blessed is blesses is blessed and he whom thou curses is cursed and the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed from with the rewards of divination in their hand and they came to unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak now the word you find there the phrase the rewards for divination King Balak consults the Midianites about a plan plan of action and he seeks out a man by the name of Balaam to help. Balak's plan was to attack on a spiritual battlefield instead of a literal battlefield. He wanted the people of Israel to be cursed. And Balaam had a renowned reputation for his powers. Now, I think Balaam is a very important figure in the Bible. There's more said about him than even Mary, the mother of Jesus, and even most of the apostles. God's people and were and are reminded not to forget about Balaam. In Micah chapter six and verse five, O my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. You know that Balaam is mentioned three times in the New Testament. It's connected with apostasy. I'm not going to go into all the details of all the aspects and study these passages, but I just want to mention them and point them out. There's uh, Balaam in the New Testament. This is the way of Balaam. is talked about in Second Peter 2 and verse 15. Which have forsaken the right way and have gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Be- Bozar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. You see, the way of Balaam, as we will see was that he was guilty of covetousness, which is idolatry. By the way, covetousness is that which brings a great deal of worry for people. They worry they don't have what they covet. They want more things. They want more money. They want more toys. And they commit the sin of covetousness, and it brings about worry. How am I going to Pay for these. How am I going to keep them? How am I going to do all this? The way of Balaam. Secondly, there's the error of Balaam. It's found in the book of Jude, verse eleven. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. What was the error of Balaam? Well, we'll see that here in the book of Numbers. But he thought that God should punish Israel and he thought he would be helping God along if he did that. And then there's the doctrine of Balaam found in Revelation chapter 2 verse 14. It says there, but I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. What was Balaam's doctrine? What was his teaching? Well, his doctrine was an attempt to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel by getting them to defile themselves by eating things sacrificed to idols and through mixed marriages. So Balaam's name means consumer or devourer of the people. And he reminds us of Satan who seeks to devour us. Who is Balaam well he's somewhere between a false prophet and a fallen prophet we're not exactly sure but was he was a what we'd call a diviner or a hireling soothsayer who had the knowledge of God but not a changed life his knowledge may have been from the Midianites he was kind of a fortune teller And he tries to manipulate God for his own purposes, and God ends up manipulating him. Pagans believed a people's own God had the greatest power over them for good and bad, and so Balaam would attempt to establish contact with Israel's God because he would have the greatest power over them. And that leads us to a big question. Why would God speak through a fortune teller like Balaam? Well, the answer is, God had a message for Moab. Moab chose Balaam as their messenger of destruction. That brings us to the divine deliberate, deliberation. We find this in verses 8 through 12. In verse 8 it says, And he said unto them, Lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again, as the Lord will, shall speak unto me. And the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. And God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? And Balaam said unto God, Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, has sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt, which covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them. Peradventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. Balaam Kind of seems like he's accustomed to speaking to God. He may have considered the Lord as as one more spirit of many that he had spoken with, and we're not sure, but the appearance of God or the revelation of his will to an unbelieving prophet or king is not unique. This isn't something God is doing for the first time. He's done it before in scripture and he'll do it again. You see in Genesis chapter 20, the Lord revealed himself to Abimelech, the king of Gerar, in the time of Abraham. In Genesis 41 verse 25, the Lord revealed himself to Pharaoh of Egypt in dreams. In Daniel chapter 4 and verse 18, the Lord revealed himself to Nebuchadnezzar in dreams and visions. And then in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, miracles and prophesying took place without the person knowing God. So God tells Balaam, you will not curse them, they're blessed. That brings us to the denial of the request in verses 13 and 14. In verse 13 it says and Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princes of Balak get you into your land for the Lord refuseth to give you leave to go with you and the princes of Moaz rose up and went unto Balak and said Balaam refused to come with us. Balaam says I can't go with you and there's a good response so far, but this creates confusion. He's a prophet of God that has fallen away from the Lord, and he's trying to raise the price of his reward, knowing that they'll come back to him. It brings us to the determination of Balak in verses 15 through 17. In verse 15 it says, And Balak sent, him, sent yet again princes more and more honorable than they, and they came to Balaam and said, Thus saith Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me, for I will promote thee into a great, very great honor, and I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come, therefore, I pray thee, and curse this people. Balak sends more important people and princes and promises and promotion to honor Balaam. And that brings us to the double discussion the double discussion in eighteen verses 18 through 21. And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give, a, uh, give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord, my God, to do less or more. Now, therefore, I pray you, tarry ye also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. And God came unto Balaam, At night, and said unto him, If men will come to call thee, rise up and go with them, and yet the word which I say unto thee, thou shalt do. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. And so here we have Balaam tries to make it appear that he's not interested in money, which we know he is, he was for sure. Peter said that he loved wages of righteousness, 2 Peter 2.15. Balaam says, let me pray about this again. See what the Lord uh, tells me, anything more. Well, why would he do that? Well, he wasn't happy with the first answer he got from the Lord. God had already said no. And listen, folks, you don't have to pray about matters that are evil. You don't have to pray about things that are spelled out in God's word. There are some things you just don't have to pray about. God's word gives you instructions on certain things. And you don't say, well, I don't know if this is what God wants for me or not. So I'm going to pray about it. No, you don't pray about getting drunk. You don't pray about getting involved in sexual sin. The Bible says it's wrong to do those things. And the only thing that's changed is more important people raise the ante, the reward. And as we'll see, Balaam is determined to do his own will, but he's going to say, I'm going to pray about it. Be careful about trying to do your own will and then trying to be spiritual and praying about it. God knows what is in Balaam's heart. He tells him to go ahead and go with the men, but he can only speak what the Lord has told him. Balaam is determined to do his own will because he wants more money. He did not want to obey God's will. He did not want to obey God's directions about staying put. He was like the person who runs ahead of God. God let him go, but permission did not sanction the evil. God was going to let Balaam's will be a form of judgment upon him. And that's what happens when getting our own way can many times end up being a punishment, not a blessing. Especially when we were violating biblical principles. Patrick Hendry said, give me liberty or give me death. The next generation said, give me liberty. And our generation said, just says, give me. That's like Balaam. Give me. And when we look at what happened to Balaam at this point, we see Balak's appeal, uh, appeals... Uh, uh, and, they, and that those appeals will picture for us the steps of temptation in our lives. So, as we wrap this up this morning, I want to give you four steps of what Satan does in causing degeneration in your determination. Four steps of how Satan causes degeneration in our determination. Step one: the impress- impressiveness of the appeal. The impressiveness of the appeal. Go all the way back to verse seven. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand, and they came unto Balaam, and they spake unto him the words of Balak. Balaam had approached, was approached by these so-called honorable men, advertisers of harmful products, use famous, popular, prestigious stars. You've seen it. Many times there are products that are advertised and they use someone that is well-known. And if a popular person approves, then it tends to be uh, something that gives the product credibility or more appeal. If a popular kid in the school does something, then it's the cool thing to do. So there's the impressiveness of the appeal. Secondly, there's the inflation of the appeal. Look at verse 6. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me, this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail that we might smite them, and I might dra- drive them out of the land. For I wot not that he whom thou blessest is blessed, and whom he, thou cursest is cursed. Balaam's ego is being inflated here. He's flattered by this delegation, this highly complimentary uh, group of people. They said, I heard whatever you bless is blessed, and whatever you curse is cursed. You know, flattery is used to soften the will, to get a welcome reception. Sinful temptations use flattery. They inflate your your ego when uh, when it wants to seduce you. For example, have you ever heard of a salesman flatter you by, uh, to try to get you to buy their product? They come up to Jack and say, what nice hair you have. <laughs> you need to buy my product, right? They may tell you that they're concerned about your family. Well, oh, you have a lovely fa- family. Watch out when that happens, when they start complimenting, complimenting you just say, I'm not interested. And then I'll watch them. They'll get rude sometimes. King Solomon was very familiar with flattery, and he issued warnings about it in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 21, With her much fair speech she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips she forced him. Proverbs twenty-six, twenty-eight: A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it, and a flattering mouth worketh ruin. Proverbs 29, verse 5, a man that flattereth his neighbor spreadeth a net for his feet. The inflation of the appeal. Thirdly, is the indemnity of the appeal. The indemnity. Verse 7, we've read. And verse 17, he says, for I promote thee unto a very great honor, and I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come, therefore, I pray thee, curse me, this people. Indemnity means compensation. The compensation for cursing the Israelites was going to mean promotion and honor and wealth. Temptation often offers position and possessions to motivate a person to yield. How many times has a promotion or a higher paying job gotten a Christian out of church and kept them from being faithful? Someone might say, Yeah, but if I had a better job or a second job, then I could give more money in the offering. Listen, God doesn't need your money if you're not going to be faithful. Someone said it's never right to do wrong in order to get a chance to do right. God doesn't need us, but we need the Lord. We need to be regular and consistent. We need the regular, consistent preaching of God's word. The Bible says again, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. I believe with all my heart that God's word is true, and that if you will honor God in obedience to the word of God, God will bless you and will honor you. Second Corinthians eight and verse five tells us that the churches of Macedonia gave, but they first gave of themselves. They first gave them themselves. The indemnity or the compensation of the appeal. And then step four is the incessancy of the appeal. Verse 15, evil is obstinate, persistent, and incessant when it comes to getting its own way. In order to defeat temptation, we must resolve to say no. Victory requires resolve and persistency. Proverbs one and verse 10, my son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Proverbs 4:14 4, and 15, "Enter not into the path of the wicked and, not, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass by it, turn from it, and pass away. 2 Corinthians 3.17 Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led with the error of the wicked, fall from your steadfastness. Balaam did not have any resolve, and he opened the door for problems in his life. Listen, God is looking for men and women devoted and dedicated to him. God is looking for people who are determined to to do his will. I wonder this morning, are you willing to give everything for the Lord Jesus Christ? Don't be like Balaam. Let's pray.